Hello everyone and welcome to the August 31st edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Skarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The California Supreme Court concluded that a couple that was seriously injured while assisting a county deputy sheriff is limited to workers' compensation benefits under the exclusive remedy provision. In the underlying case, a Trinity County deputy sheriff found citizens James and Norma Gund, who did not work for the county, and asked them to go check on a neighbor who had called 911 for help. The Gunns unwittingly walked into a murder scene and were savagely attacked by the man who apparently had just murdered the neighbor and her boyfriend. The Gunns sued the County of Trinity and the deputy for negligence and misrepresentation, alleging they represented that the 911 call was likely weather-related and probably no big deal. And by not and by withholding information suggesting a crime was in progress, since the caller had whispered, help me, and the California Highway Patrol dispatcher refrained from calling back when the call was disconnected out of concern the caller was in danger, and that no one answered when the county dispatcher did call. The trial court sustained Trinity County's motion for summary judgment on the ground that Gunn's exclusive remedy was workers' compensation. And in 2018, the Court of Appeal affirmed the judgment in a published case. The California Supreme Court ordered review on the court's own motion to decide the scope of workers' compensation coverage available to the Gunn's in this situation. The California Supreme Court just published its review of the case and agreed with both the trial court and the Court of Appeal in the case of Gund versus the County of Trinity. It concluded that when members of the public engage in active law enforcement service at a peace officer's request, California law treats those members of the public as employees eligible for workers' compensation benefits. While this allows such individuals to receive compensation for their injuries without regard to fault, it comes with a catch. Workers' compensation then becomes an individual's exclusive remedy for those injuries under state law. Discovering the date of injury in a continuous trauma claim is both significant and sometimes complicated. It is significant since the carrier for the one year prior to the date of injury might not be the carrier on the last day of employment. So just using the last day of employment as the date of injury might not involve the correct carriers. And benefit rates increase on January 1st of each year. Thus, the date of injury might affect the rate of benefits to be paid. And finally, the statute of limitations defense is based upon the date of injury and the date the application for adjudication was filed. A recent panel decision makes the determination of date of injury less complicated, since it clarifies existing law on how to determine the date of injury in a continuous trauma claim. Imelda Saza submitted a claim form to her employer on June 3, 2011, for a specific injury from shoulder to neck and sometimes her whole arm. 
On July 7, 2011, Sosa's primary treating physician took her off work for a single day on June 13, 2011, and a single day on July 7, 2011. After a period of medical treatment, Sosa filed an application for adjudication of claim over a year later on November 7, 2012. At trial, the party submitted the issue of what was the date of injury. The school district contended that applicant did not sustain compensable temporary disability in 2011 because applicant was paid industrial accident leave under the education code for a single day's absence and would not have been entitled to temporary disability under labor code 4652. The Workers' Compensation Administrative Law Judge rejected that argument and found that Sosa sustained a cumulative trauma injury through June 13, 2011. Reconsideration was denied in the panel decision of Sosa v. Brawley Union High School District. A cumulative industrial injury occurs whenever the repetitive, physically traumatic activities of an employee's occupation cause any disability or a need for medical treatment. Liability for an injured worker's cumulative injury is limited to those employers who employed the employee during a period of one year immediately preceding the date of injury. The date of injury for an industrial cumulative trauma case is defined by Labor Code Section 5412 as follows. The date of injury in cases of occupational diseases or cumulative injuries is that date upon which the employee first suffered disability therefrom and either knew or in the exercise of reasonable diligence should have known that such disability was caused by his present or prior employment. As used in Labor Code Section 5412, disability means either compensable temporary disability or permanent disability. Here, applicant had knowledge of an industrial injury and suffered disability as a result of the injury on June 13, 2011. Accordingly, the work comp judge correctly determined her date of injury. And now our crime report. 51-year-old James Chen, a San Gabriel Valley man, was sentenced to 34 months in federal prison for fraudulently submitting more than $62 million in claims to the military's TRICARE Health Care Benefit Program for bogus compounded medication prescriptions largely generated by the payment of large referral fees to marketers. He was also ordered to pay more than $28 million in restitution. Chen owned Clevis Management Incorporated, a City of Commerce-based company that did business under the name of Heyu Pharmacy. The pharmacy hired marketers to obtain prescriptions for medications that were billed to TRICARE, a health care benefit program for military members and their families. He also operated HealthArchy.com, a telemedicine website through which individuals could seek prescriptions for medications without being examined by a physician. 
The pharmacy paid referral fees to outside businesses, including Mission Viejo-based Trestles RX LLC and Trestles Pain Management Specialists LLC and to his own in-house marketers. The referral fees constituted more than 50% of the net reimbursements that the pharmacy received from TRICARE. Chen knew that none of the prescriptions arose from a bona fide physician-patient relationship as required by TRICARE rules. Chen also knew that a substantial number of the prescriptions were sent to the pharmacy for marketers, not physicians, though the claim forms falsely indicated otherwise. The claims the pharmacy submitted to TRICARE for each compounded medication prescription were astronomical compared to previous claims that it typically submitted for reimbursement. Chen targeted TRICARE because few, if any, insurance carriers at the time would honor reimbursement claims for similar prescriptions. A Southern California chiropractor was sentenced to 46 months in federal prison for conspiring to defraud a labor union's health care benefit plan by offering kickbacks to patients for attending the clinic and by submitting about $4.8 million in sham billings. 38-year-old Mayar David Yadidi of West Los Angeles was also ordered to pay nearly $2 million in restitution. Yadidi operated Phillips San Pedro Chiropractic, also formerly known as Synergy Healthcare and Wellness Center in San Pedro. Yadidi operated a scheme to defraud the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, Pacific Maritime Association Healthcare Benefit Plan. Yadidi worked with co-conspirators, 41-year-old Ivan Samaradijev of Irvine, a chiropractor, and 45-year-old Julian Williams of San Pedro, a personal trainer. Healthcare plan members were included by Yadidi to visit his clinic with offers of $50 in cash for each visit. Yadidi also paid plan members to allow him to bill the plan when members did not visit his clinic at all. Yadidi offered monetary incentives to Williams, Samaritajev, and other employees, as well as to patients, to recruit additional plan members to visit the clinic. Once plan members either visited the clinic or agreed to allow him to submit claims to the plan for non-existent visits, he billed for services that were not rendered, services that were not medically necessary. Yadidi's employees falsified records, including sign-in sheets, that listed the dates plan members purportedly received services. Yadidi and his co-conspirators also created false entries in the name of plan members, relatives knowing that the union's health care benefit plan allowed them an additional number of covered visits as well. Yadidi continued to operate his scheme after he was terminated as an authorized provider by the plan in August 2017, six months after it conducted an audit of his clinic. To continue the conspiracy, Yadidi changed the name of his clinic, which previously was called Synergy, 
and falsely held out another person as the clinic's primary owner and operator, when in fact Yadidi continued to own, operate, and financially benefit from the clinic. Williams and Samirtajev each pleaded guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit health care fraud and were each sentenced to six months and one year in prison. Fior Industries is a subcontractor that provides fire protection services at NASA's Ames Field Center in Mountain View, California. The company agreed to pay the United States $1.2 million to resolve allegations that it caused false claims for reimbursement for its workers' compensation premiums that were submitted to the government for payment. The settlement resolves the government's claim that Fior overcharged the government by seeking hundreds of thousands of dollars in additional payments from NASA based on inflated workers' compensation rates. The government claimed that the rates Fior submitted to justify the additional payments did not account for discounts Fior knew it would receive but did not disclose to NASA. Prosecutors said that, by signing this agreement, Fior agrees to account for various deductions to which the government is entitled, and also agrees to cooperate with any further investigation into other parties that may be responsible for overcharging. This agreement protects taxpayers by holding government contractors accountable for their claims practices. And in regulatory news, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services has transitioned Medicare Secondary Payer Recovery Workload to its Commercial Repayment Center. Thus, the Commercial Repayment Center has assumed responsibility for the recovery of conditional payments where CMS is pursuing recovery directly from a workers' compensation entity as the identified debtor. CMS will be hosting a commercial repayment center webinar to review the procedures and best practices for redeterminations of what you might owe. The event is scheduled for Thursday, September 24, 2020 at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. The format will be opening remarks by CMS, followed by a presentation from the commercial repayment center. This webinar will primarily focus upon how to effectively submit a redetermined request, which is sometimes called a first-level appeal. During the presentation, CMS will also be reviewing appeal requirements, what is and is not subject to appeal, and details about what documentation is needed to support the appeal request in various situations. Information about attending this webinar can be found on the CMS website. The Division of Workers' Compensation has posted an order adopting regulations to update the evidence-based treatment guidelines of the medical treatment utilization schedule. The updates are effective for medical treatment services rendered after September 21, 2020. They incorporate the American College of Occupational and Environmental Medicine's most recent treatment guidelines to the clinical topics section of the MTUS. 
The updates include the Knee Disorders Guideline, the Workplace Mental Health Guideline, Depressive Disorders, the Occupational Work-Related Asthma Guideline, and the Occupational Interstitial Lung Disease Guideline. Of the two addendums, Addendum 1 shows the regulatory amendments directly related to the evidence-based updates to the MTUS. And Addendum 2 contains hyperlinks to the updated ACOM guidelines adopted and incorporated into the MTUS by reference. Healthcare providers treating, evaluating, or reviewing in the California Workers' Compensation System may access the MTUS guidelines and MTUS drug list at no cost by registering for an account. The new California Department of Insurance revised Special Investigative Unit regulations will be effective October 1, 2020. And next month, the CDI Fraud Division will be conducting training presentations on these new regulations. The format and training dates will be announced in the near future. The definition of contracted entity was revised to specify which entities that work with an insurance company are subject to the requirements within these regulations. And there is now specific contract language required to be included in insurance company contracts with contractors, subcontractors, and sub-subcontractors that provide SIU services. These changes were driven by California Department of Insurance concerns that loose SIU oversight of decentralized multi-levels of contractors was leading to significant non-compliance and less effective SIU operations. Insurance companies have until April 1, 2021 to update their contracts to comply with this section. Redundant language was removed and language was added to specify the insurer's procedures must include red flags that address each line of insurance or each insurance product transacted by the insurer. A number of these changes were driven by CDI's concern that SIU effectiveness may suffer as the industry moves away from field investigators to a desk investigation structure. CDI is seriously concerned the industry may shortchange or understaff its SIU function as a cost-cutting measure. These changes give CDI the ability to initiate an enforcement action should an insurance company decide to make this type of short-sighted decision. These and other important changes can be read in the full text of the new SIU regulations. And in other industry news, Liberty Mutual Insurance has been awarded an Innovation Award for its new Injured Worker Portal and Workers' Compensation Guide. The award was presented by Business Insurance Magazine. This is the fifth Business Insurance Innovation Award Liberty Mutual has received since 2015. The company's Injured Worker Portal and Workers' Compensation Guide provide more information to injured workers through an easier-to-access platform. 
The guide and portal are part of Liberty Mutual's broader investments to improve the digital experience of commercial customers, which also include a recently launched customer portal. Liberty Mutual executives said that the Workers' Compensation Guide and Portal solve two key issues facing workers' compensation policyholders and TPA clients. The first is fully engaging injured workers in the claims process, their recovery, and eventual return to work. The second is the experience of the injured worker, a paramount concern of midsize and large employers. Liberty Mutual's Injured Worker Portal and Workers' Compensation Guide are being rolled out to more of Liberty Mutual's workers' compensation policyholders and their customers of Hellsman Management Services, its wholly owned third-party administrator. Other innovation awards received by Liberty Mutual include Liberty Mutual Smart Video, which delivers personalized online videos to workers' comp claimants, summarizing key information specific to each claim, and Risk Track, workers' compensation analytics, interactive dashboard. This is a dashboard added to Liberty Mutual Insurance Company's risk management information system that provides workers' compensation policy holders with a customized predictive model. Liberty Mutual offers workers' compensation solutions through its Global Risk Solutions Division. If workers' comp professionals weren't already hopping on the tech train, a report in risk and insurance claims they certainly are now, as much of the workforce transitioned to telecommuting when COVID-19 collided with our realities back in March. A July 23rd survey of 400 American workers' compensation professionals conducted by Lightco and Sapiens highlighted the challenges and burdens of an amplified technology surge. <clears throat> technology is most easily and efficiently leveraged by companies with 500 to 1,000 insureds. 42% of professionals within companies of that size said their organization is leveraging technology to its maximum ability. 44% of companies of the same size said <clears throat> that their processes have already been completely automated. In the survey, 87% of respondents claim that they are currently leveraging data to improve underwriting and product development to drive revenues and profitability. And here is what insurance companies are considering as a preparer for a new normal. 76% of respondents are rethinking injury prevention training and education due to the new threat of COVID-19. 86% of workers' comp professionals are considering incorporating telemedicine into their overall medical cost containment strategy. 89% are actively exploring better ways to communicate with employers and injured workers through multi-channel communication alternatives, such as texting. 79% are looking at incorporating additional services or programs to insureds 
to offset premium impacts, and 93% have seen a greater need for offering more flexible payment options to policyholders and injured workers, such as prepaid debit cards. A majority of respondents cited processes such as paperwork, compliance signatures, document collection, claims management, and payments as the most burdensome during this transition to digitization. Nearly all respondents are utilizing digitization to attract the next generation of claims handlers. While the coronavirus has upended virtually every industry and aspect of life, it has also created a window for growth. For workers' comp, it's looking like that window will most likely be a computer screen. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news podcasts and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manukian Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.